Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. So, as I was saying, um, this last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. Um, We are in the Lenten season. If you weren't here for Ash Wednesday, I'm sorry. We had a pretty good time. Uh, we, it was not, uh, historically we do a more liturgical service. It was not a liturgical service. It was more of a worship night. Um, if you missed it, like I said, I'm sorry, you'll have the ability to come to Ash Wednesday service next year. But that doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to step into the Lenten season today. Lent is um, the, the 40 days leading up to, to Easter. And let me tell you what Lent isn't. A Christian diet. Now stop me when, I'm li- when I lie, but we have made Lent about what it is that I'm giving up so that I look better instead of what it's really about. And what is it really about? It is, a, it is a time to lament to God. We use ash, and Ryan did a fantastic job on Saturday, or on Saturday, on Wednesday. Um, we use ashes from the palm branches of last year's Palm Sunday. We use ash because it is a, is it a, a, a time to lament, a time of, of reflection, right? But we, we tie those ashes with oil. Why oil? Well, oil means joy and gladness. So that it is a time to lament, but to not lose the fact that joy is a part of your life. Why? Because the Holy Spirit resides on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit has given you this joy. Ash Wednesday and in the Lenten season is not an, an idea that you cut out pop or that you eat more salad. Fasting has, is, part of Ash, or is part of the Lenten season, but it is not. So you drop 10 pounds before it gets warm outside. This Lenten season is a time of repentance. It is a time to, to, to realize that we have lived the year more out of our will than His will and a time to turn around and look to the glory of God. Listen to the, the, the living God. And so this morning I'm going to talk to you guys about Jonah. I've never preached on Jonah before. Um, I was telling Dr. Terry and Curtis uh, beforehand, I don't get to do this like on a regular basis, like week in and week out. And so this is like, get to try things out every once in a while. And this is, this is a message this morning that to be honest with you is as much for me as it is for you. Um, and so there are, there are definitely sermons where we have an idea of where it is that we're going to go and we, we will preach and we will talk and we'll get to that end somehow, some way, because we know the end we're going to go to. This morning, I wrote this sermon, and and I don't know that I'm going to stray too far away from my notes. I really feel like um, this is a a very convicting message um, for this this season. So if you have your Bibles, let's, let's read a little bit. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city. And call out against call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose and uh, to flee to Tarshish 
from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went aboard to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great window or great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that he so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to God, to to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, laying down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7, they said uh, to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is uh, your country? And uh, what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And he said to them, uh, then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be quiet for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. And I know it is because of me that this tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode harder back to dry land, but they could not get there, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah up. And Jonah lived in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. I don't know about you, um, but I have, I hate to run. I, I would like to say that I have a love-hate relationship with running, but there's actually no love to it. Like, I, I just genuinely hate running. And when, I, when I was in high school, I would make fun of my friends who, like, ran track. Like, you... You decided that you wanted to run for an extracurricular activity in a big old circle. Like, it just, why would you want to do that? You get to college, and, and then I'm forced to, to run long distance, right? And sometimes we were forced. Uh, there's this one memory that is burned into my brain, and it's not even the hardest thing we ever had to do in college, but I'm going to tell you a story, and you're going to probably wish that I wouldn't have, but we're here, and so I'm going to tell it anyway. We had to run... Um, a timed two mile and you had to run two miles in 13 minutes and if you did not run two miles in 13 minutes you had to run it over again well I didn't want to run it over again and so I made sure that I figured out a way to run it in 13 minutes these two miles and I learned the art of puking on the run 
I was not going to run four miles. I was going to do everything I could. It is amazing what you can set your mind to when you really don't want to run four miles. I hate running. There's nothing good about it. A couple of years ago before I had gotten sick, I started to, I, I, I wanted to, to conquer this, this hatred for running. And so I ran a mile and then I ran two miles and then I, I ran three miles. And I got to five miles and I got to 10 miles thinking at some point in time, this aha moment would click and I would like to do what it was that I was doing. The fact of the matter is, is I never did. I need to run for lots of reasons that you can tell like 250 pounds of them. But I hate it. I would assume most of you are a lot like me. You like anybody in here like to run? Nah, didn't think so. Here's what I know though about our spiritual life. Is that we do a really great job of running. We have great stamina, particularly when it comes to the things that God has called us to. From time to time, God calls us to do really hard things. And some way, somehow, we find great endurance and great stamina to not do those things. If we pay attention to the Scripture and we pay attention to our lives, we recognize that God is inviting us to Him all the time. But we also realize that sometimes that means that we have to do very hard things. God calls us every single week to be generous with our money. He calls us to be generous with our possessions. He calls us to speak out against injustice. He calls us to speak a word of forgiveness. He calls us to spend time with people you don't see eye to eye with. God calls us week in and week out to do hard things, like to resolve conflict. I don't know about you, but I, I don't like to resolve conflict. Not that I like to stay in conflict. I, I, am, I am the guy that like... Because especially like when you think of conflict, who are you have in conflict with? Well, typically it's the ones you love the most. Like if we if we get down to brass tacks, right? Like you have conflict with the the opposite political party, or you have conflict with all these things, right? But when it, when conflict is really hard to resolve, it's between two people that love each other the most. I'm not necessarily talking about my wife, but she works in this situation. I'm the guy who would rather like shut down, not talk. You're right, I'm wrong, let's move on. But he calls us to resolve conflict. He calls us to have faith and trust in him. He calls us maybe not to leave because our work is not done yet. He calls us week in and week out to confess our sins. The one thing I know about God is that he's always calling us to do things. And some of those things we don't really like to do. God is always calling the church to do things that aren't necessarily always fun. This is what I know to be true, though, about the God of the universe, is that He calls us to do hard things because it is in doing those hard things that often brings healing to our world. It is the hard things that often bring reconciliation to our world. It is those hard things that bring wholeness to our lives. God calls us just like Jonah. And unfortunately, many times our response is like Jonah's response. And you may be sitting there saying, I don't run from God. I do everything I can not to run from God. I feel like I am in pretty good 
standings with God. I, I don't, I don't do this running that you speak. And I would say to that, like hats off to you. You're better than I am. Maybe you should be preaching, but let's look at some correlations between us and Jonah. What do we know about Jonah? Well, we know Jonah was a prophet. What is a prophet? A prophet is a man or a woman who has the ability to speak on God's behalf. Essentially, a prophet is someone who has been given a word directly from God, and that word is to be given to the people of God. In the Old Testament, we see the prophet after prophet after prophet being obedient to what God has called them to. However, Jonah obviously missed the job description. For example, Elijah. Elijah receives a word from God, and yet Elijah had a a very tough life. But Elijah receives a word from God and delivers it to his people. Isaiah comes on the scene. He receives a word from God and he delivers it to his people. Even Jeremiah. The the great thing about Jeremiah is God says, hey, I got a word for the people, but I need you to understand something. Those people, they ain't going to listen to you. Like he he told Jeremiah from, from the beginning, there's a word for the people that you need to give, but they ain't going to listen. I don't, I don't know about you, but you, you, I put myself in, in Jeremiah's shoes, and it's like, I wonder what I would do. If I knew God had spoken, and part of what he had spoken said, I ain't going to listen, would I really do it? What did Jeremiah do? He receives, the word and, he receives the word and delivers it to his people. Ezekiel, he receives the word, delivers it to his people. Prophet after prophet after prophet, receive the word and deliver it. Jonah, on the other hand, is in a class of his own. Jonah gets a word and says, yeah, I'm not going to do that. First couple of verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. He got on board. He went to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah, for one split second, gets it right. He arose when God said, and it's like I, I was writing this down, and it was like it reminded me of like, have, I don't know, husbands, if you can relate to this, but like, has, has Friday night, you're done working, you're there to relax. You're sitting in the lazy boy and the wife says, hey, would you take out the trash? You get up and you go the opposite way of the trash. No? Yeah. Jonah arose, but he got all of the rest of it wrong. All of the rest of it wrong. Not only does Jonah not do what God asks him, he's literally trying to flee the presence of the Lord, which is comical, right? It is comical. This is, this is humorous because we know that you don't have the ability. Jonah himself knew he doesn't have the ability to flee the presence of the Lord. It's like my four-year-old playing hide-and-go-seek. Hoxton, almost four-year-old, um, hasn't quite figured out the entire concept of hide-and-go-seek. Like, he's still kind of to the point where as long as I can't, he can't see me, like his body, it may be, he may be behind the lampstand, but because... I can't, he can't see me, I can't see him. We have to understand, and you guys know this, that no matter where it is that you go, no matter what it is that you do, no matter how bad it is that you think you are, God will never leave and never forsake. He is with you always. So Jonah leaves, and later uh, in the scripture, 
we find out a couple of reasons why. There's two specific reasons, both rooted in fear. And this is really, I feel like we have the ability to put ourselves in, in, in Jonah's shoes right here. The, the, the first reason um, he, he doesn't want to is he has been called to Nineveh. Where is Nineveh? Well, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, which is modern day Iraq. And those people historically have a nature of being cruel, of being brutal, of being very mean people. And so God has called Jacob, or excuse me, God has called Jonah to Nineveh to preach and rebuke Nineveh. Let me put it in today's terms. That is like God calling a Ukrainian to Moscow to tell Putin to rebuke Putin. It's a death sentence. So Jonah's like, yeah, I'm not interested. Kind of like my life. I don't really want to do this. This is hard. I don't like your idea. I want to do my idea. But the second reason, if you continue to read, we find out that he doesn't want to preach God to these people because if he does and they hear him, God will forgive them. And he doesn't want these people forgiven. Can you put yourself in those shoes? I don't know about you, but there have been people in my life that I have struggled to forgive. There have been people in my life that I have struggled to allow God to work in their lives. I don't want God to work in their lives. I want God to work in all of y'all's lives because I love you and, and you're here and we're, we're a part of this community. But the people outside of this community, I'm not quite sure. And yet, if God is who he is, and if forgiveness and mercy is what he does, then forgiveness and mercy is for everyone, even if I don't like him. And that somehow, someway, our prayer has to be, forgive them too. And so Jonah says, no man, I'm out, I ain't doing it. So he gets on the ship, and in verse 4 it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. And our translation, our English translation, doesn't do a very good job with the word hurled. Hurled means, in this scripture, is the same hurled in Samuel when Saul tried to throw a javelin or a spear and kill David. It's the same one. So God is throwing a wind against this ship. In verse Five, it says, the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it up for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and, and was fast asleep. All hell is breaking loose. All hell is breaking loose. And the one guy who has been called to deliver God's word is fast asleep. And I hate to say this this morning, but this is a metaphor for the church. Our world is upside down. Our world is chaos. Our world is not getting better, and the church has fallen asleep. God has called us to be his representatives here on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But like Jonah, we have found ourselves asleep. Verse 6 says, says, So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. And this is, again, almost comical, comically sad, because here a pagan, these mariners were pagans. They did not serve God. They served God's. And yet, Jonah is being rebuked by this pagan. 
Jonah is the guy who's supposed to bring the word to rebuke, and he is being rebuked. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Probably it has at some point in time. Think about it. You're posting on Facebook, and it may be about a specific sport that you really like, and you really dislike the commissioner of that sport and the owners of that sport, right? And so you hop on Facebook, and you say some things that aren't necessarily very Christian. I haven't done this yet. This is the conviction part, or one of the many, that I won't do it, because I know what's going to happen. What's going to happen is, is someone in your friend's group that doesn't necessarily believe that they're a Christian is going to look at you and say, wait a second, I thought you were supposed to be grace-giving. This is why I have Twitter. There's not a lot of you guys that have Twitter. However, there is a lot of people that have TikTok. Anyhow, different story. Jonah is the guy who's supposed to be carrying the word of God to the people. And yet we see him being rebuked by these sailors. Verse 7 it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and a lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, Tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And finally, we see Jonah speak. Reluctantly, but he speaks. He says, listen, I'm, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. And the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then they were more exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing the presence of the Lord because Jonah told him he was doing it. And Jonah says, listen, guys, this is my fault. I know it's my fault. I'll tell you how to, how to change this. I need you to throw me over the, the side of the ship. And once you do that, things will calm down. What's Jonah saying? He's not just saying, just throw me over the ship. He's saying, I'd rather die than do what God has called me to do. I'd rather be put to death than go to Nineveh. I would rather be put to death than to do what God has called me to do. Death is strong, but have you ever been there? Have you ever been to a spot where it's like, I'd rather die than forgive that person. I'd rather die than confess the deepest, darkest secrets in my heart. I'd rather die than do what you're asking me to do. These guys look at Jonah as if he is nuts. And so what do they do? His, their response initially wasn't to throw him over. He's like, oh my God, yeah, you're crazy. You'll die. So they row harder and harder and harder and harder. You see these pagan mariners on the ship who have heard from Jonah, and now they start worshiping. They start praying to God, our God, the God that we serve right now. Verse 14 says, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. In other words, God, forgive us for what we're about to do. Verse 15, so they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The irony is that we must, what we must pay attention to is that Jonah did everything wrong, and God still made everything right. Jonah had been sleeping, he had been quiet, he hadn't preached a word, and yet these people come to the end of the story and they are now worshiping our Lord. 
The good news is for you and I is that we don't have to be perfect. This is not a, this is not a sermon asking you to be perfect. This is a sermon reminding us to not run away from God, but to run to his glory. And then it is in stories, reading this story to realize I have done this for too long. But God, even in the midst of our screw ups, figures out a way to make things right. Even in the midst of all of our failures, still has the ability to turn evil into good. There are three quick lessons that I think we can grab out of this scripture. The first one, running from God, running from God's universe, running from God's call, excuse me, is a universal struggle. The story of Jonah is our autobiography. We, we run externally, we run internally. Externally, we, we run from church to church, or we run from small group to small group, or we run from the Bible, or we run from a, 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 um, accountability. Internally, we may be present, but we're not here. We can look like we're here, but we aren't. Geographically, we're here, but spiritually, we're distant. The question is, is what are you running from? We often run from being people of God, and we surrender our calling. But what is our calling? Our calling is to be an extension of God to the world. To bring healing, to bring forgiveness, to preach the good news. And yet the church over and over and over again has forsaken our call. Whenever we align with the powers of the world, we have forsaken our call. For Jonah, he was called to denounce evil in Nineveh. What if the church truly served as the conscious for our society? That we were, the, we were reminding the world that God wants to bring justice and mercy and love. What would it look like if the Russian Orthodox Church rebuked Putin? What would it look like if the American church rebuked powers of greed and racism and sexism and all that brings harm to our society? The truth is, is that we often run away from God's call because it is hard. And yet God has anointed you. God has given you gifts. God has given you passions and desires, and he is asking you to walk those out. And yet we show up today in the midst of God, and he is here this morning looking at you saying, I want you to remember what I've called you to do. God wants our attention this morning. This is what Lent is about. To turn from what it is that I want to do and look to the glory of God. Number two, our private decisions tend to have a larger impact on others. Jonah's disobedience led others to be overtaken by a storm. This is a word of caution for all who privatize everything. The decision, to, 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 a personal decision has the ability to make a larger impact on the world around us. And we don't realize sometimes that, that these decisions can lead to a chain reaction. And sometimes those things are good, and sometimes those things are bad. In America, we kind of pride ourselves on individuality, right? We pride ourselves on making our own decision. 
We can do what it is that we want. We call it freedom in the name of freedom. I do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want. But we have to understand that Christianity does not speak like that. Christianity does not live that way. Christianity lives for the larger community. We're called to live for the larger community. Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King says all life is interrelated. And what we find in Jonah's story is that our decisions often affect the people around us. And number three, lastly, and very simply, very short, God works for good despite our failures. In this Lenten season, we have the ability to lament before God. Say, man, I am sorry. Please forgive me. And in the midst of that forgiveness and in the midst of those conversations that we have, he will reveal to you, even in, the, even in our struggles, how he's made things right. This is to be welcomed because this is a great, this is how we speak to other people about God. We have sometimes this idea that God, um, the, the world has this idea that we have to be perfect in order to have a relationship with God. And God is not interested in your perfection. God is not looking down on you with, with a, a scowl on his face when you screw up. He expects you to screw up. I wholeheartedly believe that even in the midst of our biggest struggles, he's smiling. Because he knows that with him, he can make things right. I, am, I love and am grateful for the fact that God works for the good, even in the midst of all our failures. Even in the midst of our failures. Stand. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time. Time.